Welcome to Pot to Popular, a podcast where we interview the media, marketers, and moguls who are mainstream in cannabis. Join along as we learn from the greatest minds in this industry and learn about how cannabis is becoming part of popular culture, health, wellness, and industry. Welcome to today's episode of Pots of Popular. I'm your host, Rosie Matteo. Today, we're joined by Kim Rivers, CEO of Trulieve. I am so excited to have her today. Um, it's actually really an honor to sit with the CEO of the largest, most profitable cannabis company in the U.S., and she's a female CEO. So I'm really, really ecstatic to have her here today talk about her journey into the cannabis space, how she's built Trulieve, and what her vision is for both the company and the industry. Welcome, Kim. Ah, thanks so much for having me, Rosie. I'm so excited to have you here. You know, you're highly regarded throughout the industry as one of the most effective cannabis executives and the only female MSO CEO. So for our listeners or background who might not know who you are, which I think is hard to believe, what really compelled you to pivot from your mainstream legal career back in 2015? And what skills from your previous experiences do you believe played the biggest role in your success at truly to date? Yeah, so I'm not sure if folks realize that um, I had a little bit of an interim career post-law on the entrepreneurial side of things. And so I really loved um, being on the other side of the table. So I did primarily transactional work. I was an M&A and securities lawyer um, for a number of years, but had the opportunity to jump across the table and and was involved in a number of startups and successful um, companies with main businesses in tech, as well as repositioning of hospitality assets. And so I think that um, sort of the combination, right, of being in a very structured sort of big firm legal environment, um, coupled with very entrepreneurial, um, fast paced uh, time of, of my life as well, I think combined nicely into, into cannabis. And really, I think being able to, you know, I always say that they brainwashed everyone that goes to law school. So being able to combine the, um, you know, critical thinking and deductive reasoning um, and approach to problem solving um, that, that lawyers often bring to the table every day, again, along with the ability to keep up and um, thrive off of um, high growth and fast pace are, are definitely um, things that I bring to the table. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about the early days of Truly. Was there a particular lesson from the first three years that have stayed with you and, you know, how they informed the current strategy? And we've talked a little bit about, you know, about, you know, the patient, you know, always comes first and that, you know, always love with that. I'd love to hear about the early days and the founding of it, actually. Yeah, so I mean, early on, um, I was asked to join the team and I gave a very typical lawyer answer, which was, you know, it depends and let's do some research. And so um, I spent, personally, I spent about six months traveling the country, talking to anyone and everyone who would talk to me, um, looking at a whole bunch of different facilities, um, just to get a sense of where the industry was at at that time. And that was really 2014. So this was ahead of, of licensing and realized that, you know, there was a huge opportunity in cannabis. Um, branding was in its early days, and there was an opportunity to really um, test a thesis that, you know, scale could be achieved and that, you know, a market could actually be penetrated with, you know, with a brand and with brand positioning. And so that's really what attracted me to the opportunity initially. Uh, And then, you know, I would say that the biggest lesson 
um, or takeaways from the early days. Of course, aside from typical startup craziness, you know, um, my office was a conference room table at the Grow. I was doing everything from filling capsules to shipping logistics, which I always say I'm awful at shipping logistics. I got like every order wrong. <laughs> I get calls from the dispensary oh all God. the time. And so anyway, so I have a, a lot of high, high respect and there's been a lot of focus on our logistics team because um, I think I'm I'm just not great at it. Um, but, you know, aside from all of that, I think that really those early connectivities and connection points with patients um, have always stuck with me. And it's one of the reasons why I try to make it a point to go to grand openings. It, it's really more for me than it is for, for any kind of external reason. Um, because I think that that those, again, having those personal connections, those stories, understanding in a very real and tangible way, how our products are affecting people's lives day in and day out um, fuels, fuels me um, and it, it keeps me going. It's part of my why. And so um, just really understanding that early on and holding true to that um, is, is a guiding light that, that I have and that we have a truly. And I always love uh, seeing, you know, the video and photos like from those grand openings, because you can see your excitement. You can see how excite, the excitement of the people in the communities and the staff, like it's still palpable, which is like amazing so many years later. So I, I love seeing your enthusiasm, you know, still through today. And you talked a bit about like, you know, building this brand. So how do you define the Truly brand? And do you think it'll evolve as industry becomes more sophisticated and mainstream, and especially in a market like Florida, which is, you know, currently only medical? How do you see the brand evolving? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it, you know, especially in cannabis, I would say it's if you don't, if you aren't, you know, in, not only accepting, but if you don't embrace or have the attitude of embracing evolution and embracing change, um, I think you, you get marginalized very quickly um, because this industry is so, so fast paced. I mean, when you look at, you know, our growth rate over the years and when I think about, you know, where we've been and we're, you know, 100% some years, year over year, our last, you know, year to date, we're at 67% year over year growth. Um, you have, you better be also checking in and making sure that you're still resonating and that your, your brand and your brand prop proposition, your value propositions is still, is still resonating with your customers. I think one thing that folks maybe lose sight of is that we're all in changing customer landscapes. And so, you know, Florida, if, you know, as the example that you used, um, you know, we're adding between 3,000, 4,000, patients per week to the program. So literally, we do not have a stagnant customer base in many of these markets. And so it's important also to continue to check in and ensure that, you know, the products that, you, that we launched with in Florida, for example, were heavily, heavily kind of traditional medical, you know, focused products. And so, you know, you're talking about capsules and tinctures and high CBD and, um, you know, very, um, very stable form factors that folks with serious conditions can rely on and, and ensure that they're getting consistent dosing over, over time. Um, you know, and, and those products still are important and are important to our brand portfolio. However, we've seen as the market has evolved that additional demographics have entered um, have entered the market in Florida. And so our form factors have evolved. Um, we just, you know, we were the first company to offer smokable flour, the first company to offer edibles, first company to offer hydrocarbon products to service and continue to make sure that we are servicing the evolving and shifting patient base um, that exists in Florida. And so absolutely, we will continue to innovate. I actually think that innovation is one of our, our you know, stronger, um, stronger hallmarks at TrueLeave. It's something that maybe we don't talk about as much, but, um, you know, we have over 700 SKUs that we bring to market wow. every single day. And so, and bringing more online all the time. And so I think that um, we have to uh, change, but it's again, not change for change's sake. Um, we're very big believers in um, feedback loops and using data analytics and listening to our customers. Um, as opposed to us doing, you know, a top-down approach, we really like it to be um, a, a give-and-take approach in terms of how we approach how we approach that decision making. 
Yeah, and just to stay on Florida for a second as we're talking about brand and product SKUs. So um, how do you though specifically see, which is your largest market, Florida, Florida evolving, you know, as you head towards adult use, you know, people are saying maybe 24. And, what do you, and you're saying you have new demographics coming in. So I assume you're like, you know, acquiring some data of like new people coming to market. How do you think it's going to shape when it, when it opens up for adult use? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's going to follow, you know, I mean, we're not reinventing the wheel here, right? I mean, and, and one of the things that um, we have a great, you know, great access to from a data perspective is what we just experienced via harvest in Arizona. And so being able to, you know, hearken to those results and to really take those lessons and apply them in other markets, I think will be key. Um, but, you know, I think that typically, right, I mean, in Florida is a little bit of a different beast because we have 21 million residents and 130 million tourists every year. So it's, the market is going to be huge. And um, I, you know, I would say that it's going to take a number of years for supply and demand to probably reach some sort of equilibrium um, in the state of Florida when the market does open up. We would expect demographics to um, mirror other markets that we have seen go to wreck. And so typically what that means is that your your age will trend a little bit a little bit down, right? I mean in Florida we've traditionally trended up from an age perspective. You know, we started, you know, above 50 years old median age. Now we're we're a little sub 50 and those those trends are are coming down over time again to be expected. Um, as a medical program, you know, continues on. Um, but similarly with the recreational market, we would expect, again, frequency of visits will decline because you have folks that are coming in for just a period of time, right? Whether a week or a couple weeks, what have you. Ticket size will decrease. Um, but again, um, average order, um, an average order will decrease, but volume will increase. So again, more people through. So you have to make sure that we're positioned and we're thinking about throughput, efficiencies that register, um, type of product, um, i.e., you know, things that are grab and go. Edibles, of course, become a broader part of the market. So, I mean, again, none of this is reinventing the wheel, but it's just thinking about it through the lens of the massive population that we'll be um, looking to serve um, once, that, once that flips. And I think important to us is that we're known for our customer service um, and for our stickiness and, and loyalty of our customers. And so one of the things that we've been talking about and starting to think about is how are we going to ensure that we maintain those standards, right? Given sort of this increase or onslaught of volume that we think will, will, will come, on, um, come online, we, we wanna make sure that we're still holding true to those core, those core principles. Right, and I, I would imagine with, with the Harvest acquisitions, I do wanna to get to in a minute, like you are starting to understand like, how to serve that demographic, you know, that is more of an adult use type of, 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 a, of a vibe, I would say, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, we're in Massachusetts, right, which is adult use as well, but certainly um, Harvest gives us a significantly more exposure there. Um, and again, team members that have been um, successfully serving those customers, of course, in Arizona, but also, you know, we have wholesale operations now in Colorado, in um, Nevada, right? We've expanded now our footprint, our retail footprint in California. So we we are, um, and that was a pro, right? That was in the pro column of the uh, of the deal as we as we think through uh, lessons that and take ways that we can learn um, as a combined company that we can apply, you know, on a go forward basis as additional markets that we're in, such as Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland, um, and Florida, you know, eventually, eventually turn wreck. Great. And, and, and I do want to talk about, you know, one of the key components of your business strategy, which is the hub model. Um, so what are the origins of the strategy? And was there a specific moment when your team recognized you were really ready to scale it to new markets? Talk to us about like the hub strategy. Yeah. So, um, you know, I would say that the hub strategy really came from, you know, a couple of a couple of things. Number one, um, early on, I mentioned, you know, we really were 
looked at Florida as an opportunity to achieve what other companies hadn't yet achieved in this industry. And that was true penetration of a market and, and really focusing in on scale in a purposeful way. Uh, and, you know, the lessons that we learned from that is that it works. Um, and that it's really, right. I mean, it, it, it was, it was a good, it, it turned out to be a good, a good strategy to execute on. Um, and, but what we also know is that um, a lot of markets don't offer the same constructs as Florida does, right? So in Florida, there's unlimited cultivation, unlimited uh, retail. And so thinking about, so if we know that scale is really important from an efficiencies perspective, from a margin perspective, from the ability to have distribution, lots of SKUs, all of those good things, um, how do we replicate that as best we can, given the regulatory realities um, that exist in other in other markets and other states? And so the hub model, that was one important component, is we thought, well, we may not be able to get the same, you know, exact replication, but what we can do is we can, you know, co-manage these assets and get close to that by having efficiencies and scale through all of the components that are possible, even though we can't move, um, you know, medicated product or infused product across state lines. And so what we can share is we can share talent, we can share overhead, we can share, um, you know, SOPs, expertise, and then a lot of um, tangible goods that go into our products. So packaging, buying power, um, we actually have our own nutrients um, that we that we manufacture in-house. So there are a lot of things that we're able to actually transport across state lines. And if we're in a regional way, um, short term, right, we're able to pivot and move and easily add markets because we have core competency and leadership team that were that already exist. And so, you know, we're not necessarily looking for, um, you know, a team and replicating that across every single market, right? Um, so we're able to streamline, um, we're able, and then also, of course, preparing for future change at the federal level, right? We're not going to have 50 different distribution centers across the U.S. eventually, right? So how are we, again, um, concentrating efforts so that when that does happen, we're you know, a couple steps ahead um, as it relates to getting product throughout, you know, throughout a, a logical distribution um, network. Yeah, I love that approach, you know, and that forward thinking. Um, and, you know, as you said, you know, for the federal change, but, you know, you guys have, you know, are known for like going deep, right? And people sort of think that aggressive means scaling in a specific market, right? But the hub strategy sort of shows that it, it's part of like that market, but to go further. But what does it really take to truly serve a single market? It's not so easy just to be deep in one state. Talk to us like what those little intricacies are about serving like a state like Florida. Yeah, I mean, I think first it it all it starts and stops with the customer, and so you know you really have to, and and that's what we we always set out to know the customer the best, um, and you know that's our differentiator. We feel and to and by knowing the customer best, that means actually engaging in a in a two way or two sided conversation with the customer. It's not just a top down, hey, I'm going to tell you what you want and here's why. It's um, listening and being thoughtful in terms of how those feedback loops, and we talk about feedback loops a lot and they're embedded throughout our structure. But when we hear from customers that they really want something or that something really worked for them, um, you know, making it, putting it on the shelves, and then, by the way, telling them, hey, you asked for this, so here it is. And so, um, you know, really, I would say authentically connecting with folks is um, is a key strategy, and that's not easy to do. It takes time um, because you have to build trust um, in communities, and 
especially if you're going to really penetrate a state like Florida. So demographics are so different in Florida. Yeah, and so, you know, what we do and how we how we um, inter- interact and intersect. And, you know, I was just in Miami at an event um, this past week with Redman and Leafstyle, and it was super cool and um, fashion show and for Art Basel, right? That's potentially very different, right? Than an event that I may go to in North Florida. Um, and so being cognizant of that and really having a purpose in meeting folks where they are um, and leaning into that um, and giving stores um, some level of autonomy in terms of, what events and what community partners that they feel are important for for them to connect to. So it's again, and we talk, we kind of talk about this a lot internally, it's having a strategy that you want to have an overarching strategy, but then in terms of executing, making, making sure that we leave room and space for, again, authenticity is, is super, super important. And in order to be authentic, you have to get to know someone and that's relationship building, which, um, does, you know, like I said, it's, it's achieved over time. But when you do it right, those relationships become very durable and very difficult to disrupt. And, um, you know, I think that those are some of the lessons that we've learned. And, and again, it's changing all the time. So we have to continue to, to you know, it's not like it's something you do and then you check that off the list. It's not a one and done. And it's actually that's like right. this approach we talked about, even like in the agency, it's like, invest in relationships because like that's where you get the meaningful data and the conversation. So, um, and that feedback loop. So leaving Florida, um, mm-hmm. I do want to talk about the recent closing of the acquisition of Harvest. You're now the largest MSO in the U S and, um, you're establishing yourself in a few new hubs. So how do you anticipate actually tweaking the hub model, um, given like your current size now? Yeah. So, I mean, I think first and foremost, right, we know that there are some things that we want to execute on um, that we've identified, you know, through the process of um, through the acquisition process that the team is very focused on for the near term, um, making sure that, you know, our brand portfolio is aligned and, um, you know, that we're executing and getting those brands into our branded, newly branded retail locations, getting stores rebranded so that we do have a uniform platform, um, which we think is is very important um, to have consistent messaging um, across markets. And I think that, you know, as we as we continue to do that, when opportunities arise, as I mentioned, now we feel a lot more confident, right, that we can expand or add um, add additional um, add additional, you know, whether it's stores or cultivation or, you know, processing that because we've got the the infrastructure and the backbone um, there to do it. And so, you know, I would I would say that I'm incredibly proud of the team. They've worked just so well together. And, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, one of as a CEO, you know, you think, OK, this is all going great. But, you know, I think the proof is in the pudding in terms of do you have a lot of turnover? Are you able to retain key resources? Is everyone still, you know, is everyone able to really work shoulder to shoulder together um, and dig in and sort of not miss a ton of a ton of steps, right? Um, in the and transition, integration is, is yeah, yeah. And, and so, I mean, you know, I was I've been on. We're we're right in the middle of budgeting, so it's like welcome to truly we're in budgeting. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but I think that that's been a blessing because it it has forced folks to get shoulder to shoulder and really nitty gritty with one another substantively very fast. And I've just been so impressed with the with the team and with everyone coming together and the strategic the level of strategic conversation that's been happening um, across, you know, as we plan out for for the next couple of years. And so um, you know, low hanging fruit is going to be very clear um, branded product into branded retail um, with additional emphasis on um, wholesale as an alternate channel. 
um, while also, again, um, looking at additional um, add-ins where, where it makes sense. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And I also like a lot of people listen to the show, like our um, maybe like entrepreneurs or a small size cannabis company. So I think it'd be very interesting to hear, like, obviously in terms, in terms of the reach, but what made Harvest, like, like if we think about integration, compelling acquisition target and what advice do you have for other medium sized operators or single state operators who might want to be, want, try to get acquired, right? So like, what are those like key tenants that you're looking for when you're looking at M&A? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, um, to all the single state operators out there, keep doing you because I was accused of being a single state operator. That's right. Works out okay for Hurricane River so far. That's right. That's right. So I I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, So, um, you know, I, I think that. I think that, you know, in terms of what made Harvest a, an attractive acquisition target, there were a couple of things that stood out. So number one, the fact that they had actually not had a smooth path was compelling, meaning that they had, you know, made mistakes, they had learned from those mistakes, they had failed forward, and they had then right-sized the business and gotten it back to um, not only being profitable, but being a leader and being able to demonstrate leadership, you know, we just talked about, you know, the, the switch to rec in Arizona, they were the first to make recreational sales um, in a very meaningful way. And I think that that sort of um, institutional knowledge is um, is really important and has been very instructive um, to the business. Um, of course, their platform made a ton of sense for us. Um, they were and are the undisputed leader in Arizona and that's their home market. So having real depth strategic depth in a hub that is literally on the other side of the country from us um, gave us the comfort to to pull the trigger and and um, and do the deal coupled with of course then added depth in markets that we already were in so in our northeast pennsylvania and then florida and so those were easier for us because we felt like we had a combined team right and the strength of that combined team while adding a very significant um you know anchor to a cornerstone market in um in the southwest um, and in terms of other folks who are looking to be acquired, um, one, I don't know that it it's never made sense to me to for a company to look to be acquired. So um, that would be number one, right? Is that you always want to, you know, you always want to partner with someone who is waking up every day, fired up and excited to to go out and, you know, win the day um, and fight the fight, as we say. Um, for us, partners that we're looking for are just that because we would expect and hope that those teams would want to come and be a part of the of the broader and of the next you know kind of of the next step and our next our next win, um, and are are focused again and get fired up with um, with executing and just are looking for to win on a bigger platform. Um, we we you know we want that winning mentality and that's something that is really important um, to us at TrueLeave because again at the growth and the speed that we're moving at right it's. Um, you know, as my, my CFO says, you know, if I'm in if I'm in the trenches, right, I want the person to the left and to the right that I know, you know, I have their back and they have mine and, you know, we're, we're, we're in this together. And so I think um, I think attitude is really important. Culture is really important. Results are very important. Not being afraid to be accountable and measured by your results is, right. is important and being willing to stand behind those results. Right. I mean, there's companies that we talk to all the time and it's pretty simple when you start saying, okay, so that's your model. Well, that's great. So we'll just structure this as an earn out and you'll be accountable to those results. And then it's, oh, wait, well, um, we're not sure if that makes sense. <laughs> so red flag, right? <laughs> yeah, red flag, red flag, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I, I would just say, 
leaders who lead with purpose and who have great results are always going to be, you know, top of the list compared to compared to others. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to talk about also some of the other markets. You know, you recently entered West Virginia and uh, the first, right, to, to be there and secure a license in Georgia, one of the first, right? And we just talked about a truly being the consumer first company. Um, so are you thinking about this any differently um, considering that they're more conservative than other markets? Like, so you guys taking a different approach to like the community or customer engagement to win over their trust and support because to date, you know, up until recently, there was no cannabis in the South except for Florida. So how are you guys thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, people are people. So I think yeah, people that like that's, me, that's for sure. Yeah, that would know. Right. And I mean, and I, think that? That, I think that we, um, because we, uh, you know, we're in Florida, right? Um, and, and Florida is a, a very, very, Florida is getting more concerned. Florida is be- becoming more red over time. And so, uh, you know, I do think that we have maybe a, a different understanding of, um, of that sort of consu- you know, conservative backdrop, if you will, um, in markets. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're so excited about Georgia and excited about West Virginia. Um, we do feel that we can connect with those customers, but it comes back to the basic fundamentals. It doesn't matter, again, because Miami is very different than Tallahassee, which is very different than Orlando or, or Tampa, right? If you listen to folks and if you're willing to engage, again, on a very personal and authentic level, um, they'll tell you, um, they will tell you what, um, what it is that they're looking for. But I think really um, in those markets, it's not necessarily about the consumer differences. It is and can be about the political differences and how we position externally in, um, in those conversations and those connect points um, with, um, with conservative leadership. And so, you know, leading with research, leading with our um, physician engagement, leading with um, being able to provide them back data so that we can have logical and data-backed conversations about things like programmatic expansion, um, you know, lessons that we have learned as an industry. Um, And I I found that really data solves a lot of problems um, for for us across any markets, but certainly in in more conservative markets as well. I think they, that you just, you know, they want to, they want typically to just be, um, be led right with, with again, just concrete evidence of, of what you're doing and and being able to measure that against what their what their program goals are for the market. Yeah, and then talking about data, I'm actually really excited to pivot to this. Um, this week, uh, you guys released your inaugural ESG report, um, which gave a lot of the data, an incredibly comprehensive overview of the company's milestones and your long-term goals as it relates to ESG. Why did your team decide that it was important to release this report now? Um, and what industry-wide standards do you guys hope to establish through this report? You guys have been leaders in so many ways, and it's like so cool to see what you guys are doing in ESG. Talk to us about this idea. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that we've, been doing right as a company internally for a long time um and esg principles are near and dear to our hearts and um, you know as you mentioned as one of the only female ceos right um you know diversity and inclusion and certainly social um metrics have always been important to to who we are and I, don't, I was so impressed last week when i was with valda and the team down at um the black cannabis con talking mm-hmm. i didn't even know this that you guys um some of your suppliers that your commitment to that like that is unbelievable so anyway i do want to jump to you but i was so impressed by that and we think it's yeah. by the way. Um, but <laughs> go on. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and so I think it was important, right, for for one, for us to lead from the front in a number of these in a number of these areas. Um, and and to put on paper, right, what we're doing, um, to communicate that externally, but also to hold ourselves accountable. And so 
I'm again, a big person that, you know, you, um, you get what you measure. And so by putting something out publicly, right. And um, we're now, you know, I think it's, it's an elevated, um, you know, uh, focus for us in terms of how we're doing, how we're doing these things, um, how intentional we are and um, folks being able to, again, hold us accountable. I think that um, it was important for us to really lean into um, metrics that are accepted, widely accepted and have been vetted. So this isn't a, you know, a, a report where we just sort of cherry picked what we wanted to measure because we knew we would score well um, in those areas. We were using you know, industry leading um, you know, constructs to, uh, to measure ourselves against, which we thought was, was important. And really you'll see if anyone you know, has dug into the report that a lot, of, a lot of next year's efforts are really establishing true baselines. So, and, and that's what you're going to see from us for next year. And we're hopeful, right, that as, as other folks, um, you know, review, review our report, that it'll encourage other MSOs to, uh, to, to follow suit and that we can get some momentum in this industry, because really there's no reason. I mean, we're in cannabis for gosh sakes. People, people choose cannabis as, because it's a more natural alternative to pharmaceuticals. Right. So we absolutely as an industry should be leading um, it, as, as it relates to ESG. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands or buts about it as far as I'm concerned. And so um, and then, of course, there's the secondary component, which is preparing for uplisting. And again, these are things that we do already. Um, so quantifying them and putting them in, um, in a report that also the investment community can understand and is critical for some decision making that, that happens. And I think it should be critical um, was also important for us. Yeah, and you know, it's really rich with so much information, but I would love to just ask you personally, what accomplishments are you most proud of over the past year that are including the ESG report? I know you guys are gonna be measuring against this next year, but there's a lot of things to be proud of. So what are you most proud of in that report? Gosh, um, there are, I mean, there are so many things um, to call out. I mean, I think that, you know- you more than one, it's okay. Yeah, when I think about, when I think about, you know, on the environmental, side of things, right? Um, the fact that, um, you know, we are reclaiming water um, at all of our facilities and, um, and, and cycling through, we've changed out and have made a big investment in LEDs from a power consumption perspective, our energy and the way that we're designing our facilities. Um, and again, none of this stuff is necessarily required, right? Um, it just, again, was the right thing to do. And I think, you know, when I think about this, there's so much to talk about on the social side of things. And um, when you look at our company makeup, you look at our diversity metrics internally, when you look at how we've purposely invested in majority minority communities across the US, we're the biggest employer of um, in Gadsden County here in Florida. We've, you know, we've reinvested in that community significant dollars. And it, it's not just about, you know, our employees, it's also about the revitalization that happens to the community because now all of a sudden there are folks there with good paying jobs that can, you know, go to go to restaurants and, you know, and go shopping and you know, so it, it's it's a trickle down effect of those communities, and I really think that cannabis can be such a game changer um, as it relates to um, to true you know community building across the U.S. And so um, I'm and, and like you said, I mean we've helped over 150 organizations, we've invested millions of dollars. I mean there's there's on and on and on, but um, I just I think that the overall is just that our company, and this includes support from our board, has been extremely focused and dedicated to ingraining those principles into our corporate fabric so it's it's not a check the box it's not an afterthought it really is just part of of how we think about um how we think about and how we make decisions so 
Yeah. And I think if people take the time to read the report, they can see that this is like very authentic. You know, you, as you read it, you realize this is something that the company, you know, lives and breathes. So it, it's really gratifying to see, you know, as an industry person. So kudos to you guys. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys uh, track it over, you know, the next couple of years. I know you guys are going to hold yourselves accountable to, to the report. So that'll be great to see. Um, and, and just talking about, you know, next year, um, you know, there's, there's so much fodder, it, it, you know, in the industry about changes, about, you know, what the future is going to look like. And, you know, some of them are about the barriers to entry to the industry and, and where growth might be. So what do you see as the greatest barriers to entry or growth in the industry and how should brands or operators take these challenges, tackle these challenges, um, especially considering how federal forms are still in limbo? You know, there's so much conversation in Washington right now. Like how, how, do, how should brands and operators tackle some of these challenges? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, again, kind of going back to sort of a, an emerging theme from this conversation is that it's, it's really, you know, business is local. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting and it's, it's easy to talk about, you know, kind of the big picture and, and what's happening. Um, but really there are opportunities uh, in every market, um, you know, for growth and there are disruption opportunities in every market. Um, and again, I think it's, it's really digging in and understanding the customer understanding what the trends, um, you know, are telling you, um, and then how are you delivering, right, the best complete value proposition to, to where the puck is going, right? And I think that, um, you know, often in this industry, particularly, um, you know, among, among sort of, you know, analysts and whatnot, the tail kind of wags the dog a little bit, and yeah. that folks, you know, a market becomes hot, or this becomes the trend, or this is what, you know, everyone's talking about. And I think that one of my responsibilities, key responsibilities, is to block a lot of that out, to be mindful of it. But, you know, if, I mean, Lord, if I had, if we had responded to every time that we were told that we needed to, you know, buy X, Y, and Z or do A, B, and C, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't have had the ability to, to just close that acquisition and to just complete a $350 million debt raise at, at 8%, right? I mean, because the capital would have been gone and we would have been, so we would have been in, in a, in a situation where we would have been in a convertible, you know, convertible debenture 15, 20% rate scenario back in 2019. And so I think that discipline to strategy is really key. And I think that while it not, might not be the sexiest topic um, in the room, I think that, you know, we see growth in discipline. And so, you know, what I'm excited about is executing this continuing to execute the strategy that we've laid out, um, positioning ahead of state catalysts that we know are coming and looking for those growth opportunities strategically within markets that um, that we know, while of course being opportunistic in terms of additional, additional M&A and additional acquisitions um, along the way. But there's a long way to go in U.S. cannabis. I mean, Lord have mercy, we are in the, not, I don't, people say we're in the first inning or second, I don't even know that we've walked onto the field. I mean, when you look at the demand profile, let's just take Florida. Florida has 600,000 patients. There's 21 million people in the state. Like, people are like, oh, it's over it's in Florida. It's like, so wild when it opens up. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane. And so, I mean, that's people, I think you just lose perspective because you tend to be in this bubble Right. And, and it's sort of um, I think you can get into a little bit of an echo chamber scenario, but that's why I always encourage folks zoom out. Right. Look at the look at the big picture. There's there's so much growth to come and um, it'll it'll ebb and flow in terms of pace and where and how. But I mean, it's it's coming. And so it's just, you know, again, continuing to position ahead of it. Yeah. And finally, and, you know, to 
you know, uh, dovetail for that. What excites you most about the industry or truly in the, in the upcoming year? Yeah, I mean, in the upcoming year, again, I think it's it's really realizing um, our our full potential, um, you know, post post this combination. Um, really being able to pull the levers that we we know exist, um, watching the team do what they do best, which is executing um, on a on a strategy and um, really achieving um, again that depth um, in in those markets that we're in, um, along with of course um, you know continuing um, to to position ahead of ahead of real significant catalysts that we know are that we know are coming, and so. Um, it's always fun in this in this industry because there is so there's things that you can control and then there's a lot that you can't control, and so it's um you know it's it's you know all, a lot of planning and and strategic positioning like I said and then it so it's prepare 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 and then execute lightning fast and um you know we'll, we're in different phases of that depending on which markets we're in um but it it's it makes it really really exciting and and really fun to uh, to do to do what I do every day. I love it. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kim. I actually know that there are all these like t-shirts online. I might do, you know, uh, prepare, 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 execute lightning speed. I actually sort of like that. Like that's yeah. those words to live by. That's great. Yeah. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us today and looking forward to checking back maybe uh, next year and see how it's all panned out. Yeah. Thanks, Rosie.